We are in the book of Proverbs, God's wisdom for gospel living, and I'll be reading several passages in Proverbs today, um, different verses, so that's what uh, Chris is going to be preaching on today. So let's read the word of the Lord. This is in Proverbs 11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Proverbs 21. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Proverbs 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Proverbs 16. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And finally, in Proverbs 29, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Morning, Kings. Can everybody hear me okay? Good. I'm mic'd up. I got Cheerios in my stomach, so I should be good, hopefully. And uh, I got props, too, in case I need them. So thank you for putting that all together. Happens to coincide with, uh, oh yeah, happens to coincide with VBS. So um, before I start, I just want to go ahead and before I forget, dismiss the kids. Um, so <laughs> before I get yelled at for not doing that. So, <laughs> so kids, you're dismissed and... We thank you, um, all the leaders and everything, and, and the helpers and the, that, uh, that watch over and teach our children the gospel, and it's just a real blessing. So I can speak from experience on that one. <clears throat> so we're, uh, if you open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, that's where we're going to be. That's where we're trekking through the book of Proverbs. And um, I'm not going to be going through it linearly. Um, uh, typically what we do here is we preach expositionally. If you're, if you're new here, let um, me define what that means. Um, it just means that we go through the book of the uh, we go through the Bible, um, a book at a time, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we expound um, from the scriptures. We let the scriptures speak to us, the Holy Spirit speak to us through the scriptures, um, and we conform ourselves to that, not the other way around. Um, and we we do that because we believe that the the Bible is the Word of God, and um, the Word of God, as as Paul describes in Second Timothy, um, is useful because it's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. For, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So we believe that to be true. The Bible is, um, is the way that God reveals himself to us and how we know who God is. Otherwise, he'd be unknowable to us. Um, <clears throat> so, and, we, and we believe that, that, that the Bible was authored by God through, through human agents. And that means that, the, that um, those who wrote, this, wrote the word of God or the scriptures were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Second uh, Peter 1.21 says. So that being the case, we bend to the authority of scripture. Um, we don't twist the scripture to, to fit what we want. And we do that um, not because we need to merit the love of God or, or somehow we can earn the love of God, but because we already love God and we, we, we conform to it out of gratitude for what he's done for us and we're empowered to do that by the Holy Spirit. So um, that said, uh, I'll give you a little basis. Um, we're in the book of Proverbs, and we've already established the book is a, is a collection of wisdom literature. That's the genre. That it means it's, 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 it's a book of, of um, poetic, um, pithy statements 
that, that um, show us how we can live a life that is uh, glorifying to God. And it was written mostly by, uh, by, the, by Solomon, the king of Israel, who was the wisest man who ever lived, up until uh, the wisdom incarnate, God, Jesus Christ himself, came to the earth and showed us uh, what true wisdom looks like. Um, and Pastor Lou's done a great job giving us a foundation for the study of, of Proverbs by identifying its key verse, which is found in the very first chapter, uh, Proverbs 1, um, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So from that verse and the rest of Solomon's instructions, um, Pastor Lewis formed a, a great definition of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is humbly living a life that declares and demonstrates the gospel in our treasuring Christ. That's a great definition, and, and it's something that we should remind ourselves of each time we, we, we come to the Scripture, each time we come to, to Proverbs specifically. So that said, a few weeks ago, we were introduced to Lady Wisdom. Uh, it, Lady Wisdom, it, the, the use of personification in poetry is, is common, and what that means really is just a way of attributing human characteristics to, a, to an inanimate object. So, you know, we, we actually use it a lot in our day now today, too, in, in culture, and we talked about it in our small group recently. We're trying to think of some, some ones we use nowadays, so think of Lady, um, the Statue of Liberty, Lady, uh, Lady Liberty, who stands as a monument to our civil freedoms and so forth, and then we thought of another one that uh, uh, there's Lady Justice. You know, have you seen that symbol where Justice is blind, has, the, has the, the, the cloth over her eyes, and in one hand she's got the scales where she balances justice, and on the other hand, she's got, uh, she's got a sword, a double-edged sword for, for en- enacting punishment. So it's not uncommon to use that, and that's, and that's what Proverbs is doing here. It gives, it gives us uh, human characteristics to, to wisdom. So we, we have wisdom, lady wisdom here in chapter, uh, chapter 1, but then later in chapter 9, we see a different lady, a lady of folly. I'm going to read um, Proverbs 9, 13 through 18, which says, and I'll give you <clears throat> an idea of what's going on. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of the town, the highest place, right? Uh, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who, who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he, does, but he does not know that, that the dead are there, that her, death, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, that is, the grave. So the, these two women, you've got Lady Wisdom on the one hand, and you've got Lady Folly on the other hand, and they're kind of like town criers, and we don't really have those today, so I was trying to think of, of a good example um, of what that might look like in our culture. So what do we have a lot of our culture? We have corporations. So I said, let's, let me go with that. So, so think of... Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, in the, in the sense of two dueling ad campaigns, right? So you can think of politically, or you can think just of, in terms of, you know, like you got Pepsi on the one, sa- one side, right? And you've got Coke on the other side, and they're just dueling, you know, which, which has better taste. Um, but the thing is, what's, what's really uh, important about understanding the Proverbs is that there's, there's more at stake than just taste. There's, there's your soul at stake. You know, one path leads to eternal destruction, leads to death. On the other hand, it leads to life, an abundant life, and life in, in, um, in wisdom. So, so what I want to talk about today is, keeping those two, those two paths in mind, is pride. Um, specifically, I want to point out 
this, this one thing, that pride is the barrier to living, living in wisdom and it leads to eternal destruction. But through the gospel, we are redeemed, we're transformed, and we are empowered to live a life of wisdom that glorifies God. So that's where I'm going this morning. I'm letting all my cards out on the table, and that's where we're going to go from there. So I've got three points that I want, that I want to uh, bring out this morning. And in true King's Chapel fashion, I'm going to make them all start with the same letter. Because we're, we're all very poetic here. So, <laughs> so the first is that there's a definition of pride. Then we want, I want to give you the destructive effects of pride. And then lastly, praise be to God, there's deliverance from pride. So first, first let's define pride. One way that we use pride often is, is by saying, you know, I'm proud of you, you know, as a, as a mother or, a, or a, um, a father saying to their child, I'm proud of you, or as a friend saying to another friend that they're, they're proud of an, a particular accomplishment. You know, when you say congratulations, that there's a sense in which you're, you're, uh, you're communicating your pride for that person. Um, and, and that's Th- those words are different than, than what I'm going to talk about this morning. It's, those are words of, of, affe- of uh, affection, and they're motivated, motivated by respect or love for that other individual. Um, that's, if I can use it this way, that's a good sense of pride. Um, but, and, and so e- even the scriptures tell us that encouragement is something that's is helpful, that's necessary. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that we should encourage one another and build each other up. He even, Paul even mentions encouragement as a, as a gift of the Holy Spirit in Romans uh, chapter 12. Um, so th- that's one sense of pride, but what I want to talk about deal with this morning is there's another definition that's, that's a very dark understanding of pride. Um, the book of Proverbs has eight different words, uh, Hebrew words, that, that, talk, that uh, talk about f- pride, that refer to pride. I'm not going to go through each of those eight of those. Um, but I just want to give you a few of them so you can get an idea as to, as to where, where I'm going. Um, the first one is room, R-U-M, and it means high, referring to literal height, as in an uh, inflated view of oneself. Um, similarly, rakab means wide or broad and refers to the heights of arrogance. Uh, another one that's an interesting one is zadon, which means to boil, and it, and it refers to rebellion and defiance. So uh, each of those and, and, the, and the rest all have a, maybe a different, um, a different segment or uh, of pride, but they all pretty much convey the same message, that pride in, in, a, in and of itself is egocentricity. Um, it's, it's having an inflated view of yourself at the expense of other people. It's a preoccupation with yourself at the expense of others and at the expense of God, and it's Lastly, I want to say it's disdain for others. It's fierce rebellion against God, and it's the raising of oneself to the level of, of God-like status. So let me give you some examples of that. Um, we read some of those earlier. Uh, Romans, or, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 11, 1 through 2 is the first one I want, to, uh, I want to read. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride, the word there is zadon, when pride, when the boiling of pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. This passage kind of describes the shyster, uh, the, the, the person who, the, that business person um, who takes advantage of other people. One way that businessmen in the time that Solomon wrote this would take advantage of, of others, would they, they held two different types of weights. One weight they would use that had, was lighted weights, and the other one were extra heavy weights. 
And, and what they would use these for was when they were trying to buy and sell, they would use different, different weights in order to either you know, make more money, extract more money from, from the people who were buying from them, or they would use it in a way that they could get the most out of their money. They'd get more um, and, and spend less money. So the prideful person stacks the deck in his favor, and he uses these, these kind of deceitful, unethical practices in order to, to make easy money. But in the end, it leads to either public disgrace or he'll inevitably, inevitably face the consequences of a deceitfulness when he stands before Jesus, when, when Jesus returns or when he dies. But on the other hand, this Proverbs points out that the person of integrity, the one who fears the Lord, is fair and honest in his dealings with customers and clients and other business associates. He doesn't use shady practices. He doesn't have to. Um, to take advantage of people because he instead is humble and he works skillfully and maintains a proper consideration of others and a respect for others and a love and reverence for God. Um, Scott also read, uh, read from Proverbs 13.10, we see that a prideful person won't take advice or moral correction. It says, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but those who take advice, with those who take advice is wisdom. Do you know somebody who, maybe a close friend or somebody you talk to often who you're, you're constantly giving some different advice to and you're commiserating with them somewhat, you're trying to be encouragement and you give them, say, this is the direction you should go and this is the kind of choices you should make and then they always choose the other thing to do, right? They never, they never take your advice, seriously. Uh, well, that's self-centeredness, that's, that's pride. That's, that's kind of what's, what's being communicated here. So to confront a person, confront a person with an exaggerated uh, sense of importance comes down to just wasted time, right? It's a fruitless endeavor, um, and it only leads to strife. Now, this verse can also be taken, um, sorry, this verse can also be taken um, to mean that when you see strife and endless quarreling, um, there is pride. Sorry, excuse me here. I did what I thought I never would do. I'd okay. So then we see that the, the humble person, the wise person, is open to correction rather than, than uh, self-centered and is, is open to growing in wisdom, right? As their, their, their life is characterized by peace. So remember that these, pro, that these proverbs are just our truisms are not necessarily promises because, um, you know, in Romans chapter 12, we can read, for instance, that um, Paul says, live life in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, don't associate, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it, as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So when I said that, that the person's life is characterized by peace, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always uh, at peace with all their relationships. Sometimes peace doesn't depend on you, right? That's what Paul is saying. Uh, but it, the eternal perspective reminds us that no matter what we're going through, um, no matter what, if there's strife going on in our lives, we can still experience that peace with God in a life that's, that honors him, and, um, and we can look forward to a life of, of peace in its completedness, when he returns for us, for his, for his people, for his children. Proverbs 21.4, I'm going to move on to the next, another example, is haughty, and that's that word room I mentioned earlier, haughty eyes in a proud heart, that's rahab, 
proud heart. The lamp of the wicked are sin. Here the scripture pretty much says bluntly that pride is sin. I mean, there's, no, there's no getting around it. Um, haughty in the Hebrew word, like I said, is, is room, which means height. So a prideful person who's sitting on top of a mountain, let's say, prideful peak, perched um, on, uh, perched on his uh, self-righteous um, placement, um, looks down at others, demeans other people. You know, diminishes the, the dignity and worth of other people and, and has pride in their hearts. Um, as I was looking through the comment, through commentaries this week, um, one from Bruce K. Um, Walkie, he describes a, uh, the proud heart great in this way, I think. It's, he says, quote, it denotes unrestrained immodesty, an unrestrained appetite of unrestrained thoughts, ambitions, plans, and so on. This heart, recognizing no boundaries to curb its aspirations, behaves as if it were God. End quote. So understood in this way, pride is not just a sin, it's the sin. And, and that's, what, uh, uh, that's what C.S. Lewis rightly calls in his book, the great sin. He calls pride the great sin because it's the chief motivation behind all other sins. So if sin, for all you scientific people out there, uh, if sin was organic, it would be one of the chief ingredients at the subatomic level, right? At the atomic level, at the, uh, the molecular level molecular level. See, I'm not scientific, so I can't pronounce the words. Um, if, if sin, for all you nature lovers, if sin was a tree, pride would be, at, at it, would be the root of the tree, okay? So you see where I'm getting at now? It's, it's, that pr- it's that pride, coming from pride, that's what spurs injustice. That's what spurs violence and abuse and racism, hatred, sexual immorality, and greed. <clears throat> it's, it's, and, and the thing about pride is it's been around um, from since the world began. Um, Isaiah chapter 14 is a pretty interesting passage. Um, if you uh, listen to this, I don't know if, if you've read Isaiah chapter 14 in this way, but um, what's going on here is that, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, is Isaiah prophesies that though Israel is going to go into uh, the hands of Babylonians, they're going to be su- suffered greatly under their hands. God still is going to remain, he's going to remain um, faithful to his covenant people. In fact, God even tells them, he gives them a taunt. You know, taunt, you can taunt the king of Babylon in this way because he's going to fall, inevitably he's going to fall. So here's what, so given that context, listen to Isaiah chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down low to Sheol, that is to the grave. You are brought down low to the far reaches of the pit. So he's talking, he's talking about the, the king of Babylon. But some commentators even go as far as to say that this is not only a prophetic announcement of God's sovereignty and his love for his people, but it's also an allusion to Satan's fall from glory. Right? Desiring to sit on heaven's throne he was the creature, and he raged and he rebelled against his creator, um, who alone deserves the glory and the worship that that uh, that he was seeking for himself. So, in this state, in a state of ruin, right? From there, we we he slithered up to our first parents, Adam and Eve, right? And he and he asked the simple question: Did God really say not to eat of this tree? Don't you want to be like God? 
So it was, it was in that moment when Adam and Eve took of the fruit, when they, when they ate it, pride became infused in the, into the human genome and it became part of our, our very DNA so that nobody since them and, and, and otherwise is exempt. So everyone in, inherits that heart of hostility toward their creator. We openly talk about idolatry here at King's Chapel. Um, idolatry is the lifting up of anybody or anything to the place that, uh, that God rightly belongs. It's, it's worshiping and adoring and treasuring anything other than God. So idolatry really is, is pride. Idolatry and pride are synonymous. It's misplaced worship, right? It's misplaced identity and it's misplaced self-sufficiency, all of which inevitably, inevitably ooh, I can't say that word this morning, all of which lead to one thing, destruction. And that's what I want to do for my second point, um, the destructive effects of pride. Pride causes destruction in, in many different ways, but I just want to deal with, with three of them this morning um, and how they relate specifically to our, um, our, our core values here at King's, which are eternity, identity, and community. So first of all, as I've already mentioned to some degree, pride and I, or idolatry, same thing, causes a rift in your relationship with God, with your creator, eternal God. The Bible is clear that we are the creature and that God is the creator. Um, Genesis 1 and 2 describe the creation account, and it crescendos with this, uh, this narrative of, of God's creating humankind. You know, he's creating man of the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. And he, it says that only of, of man and women that we are made in the image of God, in the imago dei. Um, but um, we are marred by sin. Uh, because of because of the rebellion toward the Creator that uh, Adam and Eve uh, did, so as enemies of God, um, we live as though God doesn't exist, or actually worse, we actively pursue all forms of sin, sin in all in all its forms and types, uh, so long as it's we don't give God His glory. What it means to um, self-identify is to turn our worshipful attention away from anything other than God. That's what we do. Um, even, even if it means going to the creation out there, seeing God's handiwork and his trademarks and everything, and yet still giving our, our heart and our desires, our treasuring of those things. Romans chapter 1, um, Paul says it this way in Romans 1, 18 through 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they know God or they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, foolishness, wisdom here, see that? Um, f- claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So did you catch what, what Paul's saying there? Uh, we humans place our importance, our purpose, 
our value and our identity on anything and any, anything other than God. And we do it willingly. We suppress the truth. And I, I take these verses also to mean not just the created order that we see out there, but even the iPhone that's, that, that's in your pocket. You know, all the things that even, even architecture, even art, anything and everything, even that, that's made by man, all comes because we are made in the, in, in the image of God. That creative genius that we, that we often look to and we, we, we point out to others actually comes from God. So, so even in those things, even the, in the man-made elements that we have, the things that we make, those all um, ought to point us to Jesus Christ, to God and his creative genius. <clears throat> so I, I, don't, I don't want you to get me wrong, though. I'm not saying these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. What I'm saying is the intention of our hearts is corrupted, right? So these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when we hang our identity on them, we are playing God, see? So because of pride, we are separated from God. Okay, that's the eternity portion of what I was saying, the eternity, the identity, and because of our pride, we are seeking our self-worth apart from God, and therefore we have a worship disorder. There's the, the, the problem with our identity, right? Eternity, identity. And lastly, I wanted, you know, I wanted to point out community. What about community? How does pride affect the community? Um, we learned last week that God had revealed himself as a community, right? community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as image bearers, we are made to exist in community, right? The problem is pride. Because of pride, we, we actively push community away, right? We actively push the things away that are good for us. <clears throat> and instead, what we do is we isolate ourselves, right? Sin always isolates, as, as Pastor Lewis said many times. So um, listen to this verse in Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So the proud person, the idolater, is antisocial, right? He distances himself on purpose because he wants to reinforce his commitment to himself as opposed to, to hearing sound judgment from others. So he resists that and he resists the love of other people. Instead, as the Hebrew word insinuates in this passage here, it says, he shows his teeth like a dog. I think it was interesting, uh, interesting to find that out, that he, he snarls, as it says, in, in a sense, at the necessity of, of community because he's self-sufficient. But in, in the end, he only, it only leads to loneliness, leads to isolation. So, those are some, some of the destructive effects of, of, of pride and, and idolatry, but there are, there are much worse um, consequences to living a life of foolishness, of foolish pride. It's more than just an unhealthy fascination with the things in this world uh, or strained relationships or even loneliness. The consequences of pride are actually much more dire than that. Uh, in Proverbs, I keep, yeah, it's Proverbs, Proverbs 16, I thought I said Romans for a second there. Proverbs sixteen seventeen through 18. Um, the highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So haughty and pride there are, are interchanged there. These verses couldn't be any clearer. Um, the wise person carefully avoids evil. Um, and therefore preserves his or her own life. But the prideful person, the foolish person, falls into destruction. 
There's another Hebrew word here for destruction, um, sheber, um, and it implies the shattering of bones. So the foolish person is full of arrogance and goes along his way on his highway and doesn't see the obstacles coming up in his path. And it just falls into um, the impending danger, trips, breaks his bones, falls in the gutter, and there perishes, and there dies. Um, And here's why. Because God hates pride. He hates pride. It's not just, it's not just the effects of, of, of misconstruing some obstacles in your way. It's actually that, that God hates pride and, it's, and understands it and sees it as what it is, which is an affront to his authority as the sovereign ruler of the universe. And so, as that, that being the case, he, he's not going to let it go unpunished. You know, why would he? It's, a, it's, a fierce, it's pretty much a fierce middle finger to the face of God, and it deserves his harsh, harsh retribution for that. Not just physical death, which is the, uh, the consequence of sin that's, that's come into the created order, but it's eternal punishment. It's, it's hell. Hell is the only punishment that fits the, the crime of sin, of pride. You may say that, you know, to me, you know, that seems like a pretty harsh punishment, you know, uh, forever suffering under, the, under the, the wrath of God for just a single lifetime of, of pride, of arrogance, of rebellion. But let me just kind of put it in perspective for you. Um, say there's a criminal who goes into a bank to rob the bank, right? And he brings with him a handgun or a shotgun, something like that, some deadly weapon. And he, he puts it in the face of the bank teller and tells the bank teller, give me, give me money. And the bank teller gives, her, gives this, this, this criminal $100,000. And he departs, leaves, and he's caught 10 minutes down the road, about a mile down the road by, by police officers, right? So um, now he stands before the judge, he stands before the court, he's confirmed to be guilty. Um, would a just judge put that criminal in, in jail for just two minutes? Because that's, that's, that's as long he, as the crime took to commit. It's only two minutes, so put me in for two minutes. Or maybe even 15 minutes, because that's how long it took for the police officer to show up to, to pick him up down the road. No, that, that would be an unjust punishment, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that just, it seems ridiculous, right? Because we know that the severity of the, of the, of the crime must have a, bit, a fitting punishment. So the severity of our crime, of sin, of pride, of idolatry, is, is so heinous that the only punishment that fits the crime is eternal, active wrath poured out on the perpetrator. Which leads me to my last point. Let me just let you simmer in that for a second. While I hydrate. Um, My last point is that there's a deliverance from pride. Praise be to God, there's an antidote for for pride. There's an antidote. There is a way that we can experience deliverance from pride and from its devastating consequences. Proverbs 29, 23 One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So contrary to what the prideful and foolish person thinks, lowering yourself to the needs of others and to to the will of God is the only sure way of experiencing honor, the honor of God, that that God bestows honor on you. The word for that is humility. You've probably heard it before, right? Humility is bowing before your creator and surrendering to his lordship. It means seeing God in his rightful place and acknowledging your proper position as the creature 
made as a worshiper to enjoy God. The person that does that, that person will experience honor. But I want to point out that there's um, what I don't mean by humility. What, it does not mean that you devalue yourself. You don't, you don't strip yourself of, of dignity or worth in doing so. It doesn't mean that you think of yourself as worthless or walk around with low self-esteem or inferiority complex. Actually, uh, that can be in, a, in itself a form of pride. You say, well, how, how's that? How, how is devaluing yourself just a form of pride? Well, remember how I defined pride earlier? Right? It's, it's a preoccupation with yourself at the expense of God and others. So people suffering from inferiority complex are actually just over, overly concerned with themselves and how they measure up to a particular standard, either a standard they've set somehow or that religion has set or that their culture has set. And so they agonize over the fact that they can't, they can't meet that standard. You know, they're not, I'm not attractive enough, right? Or I'm, I'm not smart enough or popular enough. I don't, I don't, um, I don't have enough money or the things that I want to do to, I, I don't have a lot um, that I can experience uh, true life and abundant life and joy and happiness. And that's, that's like the conceited person, really. The conceited person who's robbing them, who's robbing God of his glory um, that, that he deserves um, this person who's lowly in this regard, who's infer- who has inferiority complex, is actually defining the standard of, of his or her excellence and putting it in either beauty or importance or significance or some other form of gratification. And that actually um, is a form of pride. So that even might be at the center, at the core, of a person who has superiority complex because they're actually, while they show in the outward appearance that they're, they have it all together, that they're, they're proudful, they're conceited, they're actually um, outwardly that they're that way, but inwardly, they're actually very insecure, right? So here's the problem. So I said that humility is, is the key, right? But the problem is that there's no way that we can, on our own, humble ourselves enough the way that the Bible teaches that we should humble ourselves, the way that God asks us to do that, he, he, he demands from us. The Bible teaches that every human being is ruled by sin. I said it before, it's in our DNA. We are enslaved to sin. And left to ourselves, we're just going to be like that, that person on the road, that prideful person, and you're going to just crash and burn. But again, like I said earlier, there's hope. So turn to Philippians 2, um, 3 through 11. I'll have you just ch- turn to that one passage. It's a little bit lengthier than some of the other ones I just read, so... If you're there, if not, just listen, um, but, but hear this. This is Paul writing to the Philippians from prison, I might add. <clears throat> Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? That's humility. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the, on him the name that is above every name, that so that the name, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and even under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mm. 
So Paul here is, is urging the Philippians to be humble, not because that's what is going to save them from the impending wrath of God, but because they've already been saved by, by God's greatest act of humility in Jesus Christ. And he, he came to the earth. Jesus Christ came. And that in itself, is stepping down from glory, was an act of humility. It began there. And then from there, his birth, his life took a single trajectory, his single, a, single, a single way, a single path, which is toward the cross. Because... Why did he do this? Because he, he was bowing. He was humbling himself to the Father's will. So he was beaten and he was, he was bludgeoned and he was ridiculed and humiliated. And then, with his wounds still open, he was, he was nailed to a wooden cross. And then God, the God who made us, the God who infused blood into, the human, blain, into human veins, actually spilt his own blood for you and for me. The creator of all life passed through death, the enemy of life, and he rose triumphantly three days later so that you could experience, that you and me, we could all experience everlasting life in him. So at great cost to himself, Jesus came to earth. He revealed the truth about God to us, who God is. He revealed to us our condition. And he did this to show us that our, our sin, which causes strife among ourselves, among one another, right, and it separates us from a holy and pure God. <clears throat> he came to show that to us. But more than that, that's what Paul's pointing out. He came to extend us immeasurable grace and love. He came to expose the darkness of sin to the purifying and healing power of the light. And he came to give us a new heart to bring an end to the pride that had its hold on us. He came to bring us back into relationship with him. Not simply a relationship on unfriendly terms, but he came to offer us sonship, daughtership. He came to, to make us part of his family, to remove the bonds of sin that separated us. So my question is, are you a child of God? As God's son or daughter, he loves you and he accepts you and he cherishes you. And all children, all his children one day will reign with him, will experience glorification, will experience resurrection from the dead on the day that he returns. Take a minute and ponder that, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news of the Christ event. That's the good news of what what God did through his son Jesus Christ. So with, with that in mind, with the gospel in mind, what need is there of pride, Right? Because my heart has been transformed and because I'm no longer enslaved to sin, I can now sympathize and I can see the needs of others and I can help serve the needs of others, right? I have the Holy Spirit to guide me in all, the, in all wisdom and I know that I'm cherished and treasured by God and loved by God. You know, I just read from Philippians. Paul says later on in that, in that same, that same uh, book, in, in his letter, something incredible. He goes on to say that, again, he's in, he's in prison when he's writing these words, that everything that he once drew significance from, everything that he placed importance on in his life is utterly worthless now with Christ in view, with, in comparison to Jesus, Jesus Christ. So if you belong to Jesus Christ, then you can say the same thing, right? You're no different than Paul was. That the things that were once your, the object of your affections that I once prided myself in, the things that were the source of my identity, identity have lost their flavor because Christ is now my life. And it doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. 
because without pride, I can live in joy even if I'm being ridiculed or made fun of or disrespected because if I'm secure in the gospel, if the gospel is my source of comfort and that's my sense of pride and what God has already accomplished, then why should I seek life in anything else, right? Why, if I know that I'm cherished by God and loved and I have every spiritual blessing, as Paul says in in the book of Ephesians, so why would I need pride? I have all that I need in Christ. I can't be any more treasured than I am in Christ's delight, in God's delight in me. I've been forgiven so much, right? I have been given so much, and I know that I'm going to be exalted much on the last day when he returns. So one more thing I wanted to point out, too, because we're all about mission, being missional here, right? About going out and proclaiming, declaring the gospel to, to the world, to the, those in our community. So let me, let me ask this. How does it relate to living on mission? How does, how does that, how does humility relate to that? So let me ask, let me ask it though in, in another way. Maybe this, maybe this will hopefully drive the point home. How with all this in mind, how could, how, with the gospel in mind, what Christ has done, how can I keep silent, right? How, how could I not share that with others? The gospel isn't just meant for me to enjoy. It's meant for everybody to, to, to know. It's meant to be heralded. It's meant, our mission here at, the, at, at this church and as the church of God is to speak plainly the news of Jesus Christ boldly in our communities, boldly with our coworkers and humbly, right? So others need to know the same love that I experienced by God. Uh, they need to know that, th- that there is a, way, a place where I can find my purpose, my significance, and my joy. And it's not in seeking anything else, but in seeking it in Jesus Christ. So, I leave you with a couple questions. Is Jesus your life? Right. Have, you, have you surrendered to him in humble obedience? Uh, Christian, if you're struggling with pride, are you struggling with pride? Are you? Uh, we all do. Uh, this was a very difficult topic to, to prepare because I saw pride all over the place. In my, in my own life, in my own heart. Um, so let's pray now as I close. Pray humbly together. Uh, let's pray in, in repentance. And then after that, let's, let's sing in thanksgiving for what the Lord has done for us in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, this morning. Thank you that we can place our life in you and find life. That we're not le- left to ourselves. We're not, not left in the, in the muck and utter ruin of our, of our pride, of our idolatry and, and sin. But instead we can find, uh, we can find the antidote in you. And you, uh, you, are, you have made it plain to us. And we thank you that the great mystery of the gospel is no longer a mystery. Uh, it's, it's known and you've, you've revealed it to us. And you've revealed it in your son Jesus Christ. And we pray. Holy Spirit, that you would convict our hearts of, of the pride in our life and that you, you would cut it out of us and that, you Lord, we would, just, we would uh, humble ourselves before you, that we'd humble ourselves before one another, serve one another, and uh, we, just, we just pray you just do a good work in us and produce in us the joy that we know that we can experience only in knowing you. We love you, Lord, and we just pray that each day you would uh, show us how we could love you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.